0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shapiro, editor at large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Joining us on the other side of the mic is Brian Quintens, former commissioner of the U.S. Commodities Futures Trading Commission and head of policy at A16Z. It's been an interesting time in the market, especially from a regulatory perspective, and so I'm sure you're quite busy there at the firm. Give us a temperature check of everything at the intersection of policy, regulation, and crypto from your seat. Yeah,
1: uh, thanks, Frank. Uh, First of all, it's great to be with you. Um, Yeah, that's that's a big question. I mean, I think you know, let's let's start off with the fact that as we as we all know that have been involved in this ecosystem for a long time, there is a lack of regulatory clarity as to how. uh, this industry, its products, uh, tokens, decentralization uh, is or should be treated under various you know, regulations and laws that are already on the books and that have been on the books uh, for decades, 70, 80 years. Um, and because of that uh, lack of uh, clarity, um, there is no set of principles you know for which founders can build to. Uh, those that are interested in um, uh, exploring the benefits of this technology uh, can can have as a safe guide. And then we have on top of that, a regulator at the SEC that is taking a very hostile view uh, towards the technology, technology generally without issuing any updated guidance that can allow it to actually survive within its regulatory rulebook that has now... Um, created an opening, the opportunity uh, or forced, as a forcing function, Congress uh, to get involved to try to clarify what the jurisdiction of the regulatory perimeter actually is, uh, how this technology can be responsibly used, um, and to ultimately set some guardrails that embrace strong consumer protection, promote the idea of decentralization, and embrace innovation.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of ambiguity there. Where do you think the line will ultimately be drawn in terms of which assets are securities, which assets aren't? Um, you know, the the chair of the SEC has once said, or said a few years ago, that three fourths of the market were not securities. Now it, it seems like 99.99% of assets in this market are securities. Is there, you know, could we shake out at 50-50? What do you you think there?
1: Well, I mean, I I don't think it makes, uh, I mean, I take your point. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to just compromise on, you know, percentage thresholds of the market and just, you know, try to placate individual jurisdictional issues. Um, I I think, you know, good law is based off of good principles um, and good regulation implements good law. Through thoughtful nuance, right? So, the principles that I think you know we and I think the community really embrace around what things represent securities and security interests um, uh, through either investment contracts uh, or other you know uh, defined forms of securities versus things that are not securities and are more purely commodities or that have use cases, right? Is the idea of the primary value of that um, asset or instrument being derived from a managerial team. And how that centralized managerial team um, develops and creates the value uh, and the expectation of future value um, solely from its own efforts, from its managerial efforts. Um, And that's an important concept because if there is a centralized management team, and there is an investment of funds in that centralized management team. Uh, they control the investment of funds. They have asymmetric information compared to inv- their investors. They have conflicts of interest, and that's exactly you know what the securities laws are meant to protect um, you know investors from being abused by. Um, and so you know, as we look at you know the debate generally. As we look at the lack of clarity uh, by the SEC, it's been four years since they've issued any guidance on this topic, with the last guidance in 2019 focusing on these exact issues, focusing on how decentralization obviates risks that legacy securities laws were designed to address, Um, that's where you see Congress now stepping in appropriately, in my view, given the actions um, uh, by by the SEC and trying to um, expand, you know, its purview into innovative technology that does not necessarily fit into its rulebook. You see Congress addressing these issues by focusing on, on that concept of decentralization, where there is a lack of asymmetric information between a development team, uh, a product, you know, or the investing or consuming public. Um, and we think that's a, an important market because we we view the underlying benefit of this technology is decentralization. Decentralization is the key. I mean, that is the thing that this has all unlocked. uh, And that is also something that needs to be recognized and promoted. And the regimes that get that right, the jurisdictional regulatory regimes that focus on that and understand that nuance are going to be the ones that capture this innovation in their jurisdictions going forward that services the rest of the world.
0: It might be more productive to have, or to implement, um, a Web three version of the Howey test, in which something like decentralization is part of that litmus test. I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, you mentioned the word nuance, which I think is is a core pillar of this entire conversation. And there isn't a lot of nuance, um, at least from the current administration at At the SEC, in my opinion, because you could have a situation—and correct me if I'm wrong—where maybe the the agency could say, "Okay, if you're a crypto company, we understand that you can't really, you know." Copy paste what exists in security laws for crypto projects, but here's maybe a third way or an avenue by which you could enter our jurisdiction, so in a sense the agency would get its cake and eat it too you you get them to sort of be within the parameters of of u s securities laws whilst also not just completely pushing them pushing them out because you can't really. As a crypto project, let's say Frank Coin or Brian Coin, if it's a decentralized sort of organization, who's filing that those those sort of documents around? Um, you know what would be the S one for these projects? It's it's sort of impossible. So I guess the question is, um, without pontificating too much, is why don't you think they're tr- the agency would try to compromise and figure out some sort of third way when it clearly is. Pretty impossible to, at least from a crypto project, a truly decentralized one, go through the standard process of, you know, filing S one and and you know, listing on an exchange as one would do if they were U.S. listed equity.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I think first of all, you're exactly right. Um, there are available avenues, you know, to the SEC uh, in, in the form of um, uh, legislative, uh, powers that have been given to it, not like legis- powers given to it through legislation, uh, that allow the SEC to, uh, exempt, um, uh, entities or processes from their existing rules, um, you know, create exemptive relief, uh, through things like either rules or no action letters, a no action letter is, is something that a, a, a division of an agency would issue, uh, to affirm, or possibly in general, um, in rarer cases, in general applicability, where it says if something meets these criteria, we, as a division of the SEC or of an agency, will not recommend an enforcement proceeding to you know to the enforcement division um, against that project or issue or or industry or or so and so, and that happens all the time. Um, there are a number, uh, you know, there are thousands of no action letters that the SEC, the CFTC, and other regulators issue to, t- to to address the very thing that you're discussing, which is nuance, which is where um, new things are created or special circumstances evolve that don't fit into the existing rulebook, where it doesn't necessarily make sense to reopen up the entire discussion and rewrite that rule for that one specific issue. Um so there are available avenues. Uh there are available avenues through rule, through rulemaking that don't involve exemptive relief. Um and and the point you make is an important one, especially when it comes to the current discussion around special purpose broker dealers and how anyone that gets that registration is going to be able to actually list um uh you know what we would normally think of as as crypto products or tokens. Uh, because in order for those, you know, to be listed, they would need exemptive relief uh, to satisfy uh, the reporting requirements, the registration requirements, uh, and all the things that you describe. Um, otherwise, you know, Bitcoin, Ether, and any other token, you know, that we view uh, in the marketplace now that is decentralized will not be able to meet those thresholds. Um, and we've already heard that uh, in, in congressional testimony. Um, that the firm that's received, you know, the special purpose broker dealer license, um, has said that they are not receiving any special mm-hmm. exemptive relief. So, I mean, to me, it, it's 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 hard to answer what the real motivations are. I have saw some some suspicions, but I don't think they're really productive. It, it, you know, the point is is that nothing productive is actually happening, um, and Congress needs to, uh, you know. Sh- uh, show the way by creating the framework that the SEC is refusing, you know, to contemplate.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't touched base with, with that team you're referring to. Um, I always I – is it Promethean or Prometheus? It doesn't matter. But <laughs> I what I don't understand about – Prometheum. Okay, uh, I think I talked about them on our last show and just butchered the name. So, with all due respect to to that team, uh, the Kaplan's. Um, what I don't understand about that is how would that work? So, even if you have this special purpose broker dealer, great, you can you can trade uh, cryptocurrencies that have been deemed securities by the SEC, but. But if those what will what will you trade if none of those projects um, register? It's like you're in a no man's land of of assets. It doesn't make it doesn't really make sense. You wouldn't trade Bitcoin because that'd be a commodity. But let's say Polygon, which was uh, you know deemed a security, Matic, by the SEC in its suits against Binance and Coinbase, if Polygon team of, of, of developers or whatever it is, don't register, then would that be something that that special purpose broker dealer could trade? I don't, I don't, I don't really understand it.
1: Well, so, I mean, I think, I think there are a number of questions there. Um, I think the broadest question is that the, the broadest issue is that there are a lot of questions. I think there are questions about the firm. Um, there are questions about its relationship to Chinese entities. There are questions about its service providers and their compliance history. There's a question about whether or not they actually have a a business model that is um, uh, viable in this space. Um, I think really before the last month or two, no one's ever heard of this firm uh, when there are very large legacy financial institutions um, that I think have demonstrated an interest in in this kind of... um, uh, 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 license, um, and, and product offering. Um, and, and then to your point, there are a lot of questions around, um, how, how this would actually work in substance. And if it doesn't necessarily allow for this, this solution to facilitate, um, uh, the trading or access to, you know, uh, the traditional token marketplace, then it's not really a solution. It's more of a tactic. And if you have an agency that's engaging in tactics in response to Congress or, um, you know, a, a political uh, dialogue or PR purposes, you know, I think you have something that's pretty rotten at the center of that organization that is not necessarily undertaking its uh, legitimate governmental duty in enforcing laws in a fair, transparent, and compliant way. Mm
0: no I think that's i think that's well said it's just it's yeah, it's very confusing um and they haven't done a good job answering a lot of these questions okay so let's let's talk a little bit about about your job um head of policy at a sixteen z what does that what does that look like aside from just descending upon the hill and and trying to convince folks that this is an industry worth paying attention to and providing clarity to.
1: Well, so, I mean, I think it, 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 it's, it's much bigger than just, you know, going up and, and taking meetings. And we have a full you know, team from, uh, you know, a, a very robust and expert, maybe world, you know, absolutely world class uh, legal team, uh, regulatory team, government affairs team, and then and, and me doing policy work. Um, I think, you know, broadly speaking, it's how to think about and develop, you know, legislative or regulatory frameworks that can be principles-based, but also understand nuance. Right? How do you how do you create a system that's flexible, that isn't uh, overly prescriptive, that allows for innovation in the future? You know, that doesn't preclude innovation. That uh, and that focuses on the right things. And I think that's where we have come down in a in a legal regulatory policy and government relations, you know, advocacy perspective in pushing concepts around decentralization. You know, I mean, decentralization to us is, you know, as I said, it's to us, it's the key of the technology. Um, It is what allows individuals to own um, the representation of whatever a token is to truly own that. And if you think about that Web3 model, right, where um, now the the contributors to the Internet, the contributors to networks can actually own the value of that contribution, that can't happen in a centralized model because it can be reversed, right? It can be changed. There's going to be a gatekeeper that controls access. Um, there's a the threat of deplatforming. Um, uh, you know there are take rates that are would be subject to change, and so you know decentralization is the is the is the threshold, and there needs to be a high bar for it to ensure that number one, you know, again, the legacy investor securities protection laws that have you know very good intentions and have worked well, you know, are are obviated. By um, uh, the, the, a decentralized environment, um, but that there is also a strong marketplace uh, with integrity, with customer protection, with federal oversight. You know, with anti-manipulation and anti-fraud and, and pro-surveillance uh, capabilities um, that can ensure that tokens and that value that accrues to individuals can be transacted. Right. and so as we kind of think about you know the 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 primary policy pillars there you know we're focused on decentralization we're focused on the appropriate regulatory treatment of centralized firms right and we're focused on ensuring that um, uh, the authorities have what they need uh, to prosecute criminal activity because um, it does isn't in anyone's interest uh, for for frauds and scams to continue uh, to, to be perpetrated on the public. And unfortunately, you know, that has, that has happened.
0: Ruggers are going to rug. It's the way of life, I guess. Well, I mean, I, you know, I gotta say, Frank, I mean, I was, you know,
1: when I was at the CFTC, we, we prosecuted and filed complaints and had settlements on Ponzi schemes every week in the traditional commodities markets, right? I mean, it's not unique. It didn't all of a sudden just get, Ponzi schemes were not invented ten years ago with the invent, you know, with the creation of of a of, of Bitcoin or tokenization, right? These are these are legacy schemes done by unethical individuals that that target areas that have the most enthusiasm and, in some cases, the most ignorance, right? And that's and that happens in the gold and and the precious metals marketplace. You know, it's happened in um uh you know the, the 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 treasury marketplace it happens wherever there is a potential to you know solicit investor funds that can be used improperly um and so you know it's 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 never something that's good it's something that i am seeing and that we're all seeing the uh the agencies prosecute which is very positive and 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 doing so in a way that shows i think the advantages to law enforcement of the transparent nature of blockchains in actually, you know, helping to um, uh, investigate, uncover and hold accountable those bad actors. Um, And all of that is, is a benefit to the ecosystem in order to have it focus and have external parties focus on the innovation side of the technology.
0: Yeah. And a lot of those, you know, issues that you're talking about kind of manifest in, um, centralized organizations the technology is is inherently transparent so it's kind of harder to you know get get duped as it were unless it is a specific like technical breach or hack but focusing on that that second component that you kind of hit on in the in the previous question looking at best practices around how Centralized market participants in crypto should be regulated and monitored. It, it reminds me of something that uh, SBF said when he was testifying before Congress about how a lot of the market data is public and open, and in a sense that almost makes centralized financial players in crypto, you know, superior to their counterparts in traditional markets. Um, obviously. There was a lot more brewing under the surface than than was apparent at at the surface there. But what what best practices would you implement, or do you think should be implemented um, for centralized brokers exchanges? And and I also want to get your opinion on in in many of these suits from the SEC, um, it kind of calls out the specific market structure of of crypto exchanges, which is you know very integrated operating multiple types of businesses that traditionally in equities and and derivatives aren't kind of meshed together so i guess to be more more to the point um what sort of best practices would you would you suggest or policy prescriptions for centralized venues and and then maybe the second um being uh, the market structure in general is—is is it problematic in the way that the, the agency has has outlined? Yeah. So,
1: I mean, I think that there's I gotta a get huge... better being concise. No, that's fine. Uh, it gives me time to you know get my thoughts together. <laughs> I think, you know the. I think the, um. I think that there's a huge disconnect right now between. Um, some of the you know the centralized trading platforms that we see in the United States, um, uh, you know, and specifically you know an entity like Coinbase, with entities that we see overseas um, that are in you know different types of jurisdictions that may or may not have you know robust regulatory frameworks, and often cases you know do not uh, or operating you know, in, an, in, in a jurisdiction and services all other jurisdictions or many other jurisdictions in a way that aren't, you know, is not compliant with those other jurisdictions laws. So, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing is that um, a, a, an appropriate registration scheme uh, or framework for centralized trading venues um, is essential to level the playing field. You have entities like Coinbase that have huge compliance departments that do um, you know robust uh, analyses, surveillance, um, compliance work, um, that are public companies that have audited financials um, uh, and um, they're the ones that are being targeted you know with enforcement actions for potential quote unquote securities violations. Um, and yet, you know there are plenty of others that are operating overseas. That may or may not be servicing U.S. customers. That are certainly servicing customers in other jurisdictions that don't have anywhere near that level of compliance. So there needs to be a framework um, that at least you know a, a significant jurisdiction can agree to, um, which is one of the problems I think that exists in the marketplace right now in the United States that Congress is looking to solve. Right? That that creates these um, these outcomes that um, other countries could use. For equivalence determinations or you know comparability determinations uh, that can serve as a model uh, for those countries to develop their own, we have Mika coming online in the EU that's doing this. We have a new registration scheme coming online in the UK that is seeking to do this. You know, if there is one that develops in the US, and you know we're hopeful that there is given the progress in Congress, um, you know, then those three jurisdictions will be able to uh, discuss the differences and see if they can. Um, allow for registered entities in one to interact with with uh, the consumers in another, um, and so you know that's 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 a really important thing just from the global nature of this asset class and this ecosystem. Um, I can't quite remember where the uh, where the rest of your question was going. If it was overseas based or centralized, or
0: yeah, just in terms of the market structure, right? Is is there any? Oh, right, yeah. So
1: I mean I think I think you know I'm a little confused as to as to the the positioning here um by the SEC or others that are are harping on this because um you know th- th- there are there there are conglomerate business models that stretch across all aspects of financial services activity um today you have um you know derivatives exchanges Um, that also have a clearinghouse associated with them, right? Um, uh, You have, you know, uh, futures commission merchants, which are um, the the CFTC uh, derivatives versions of broker-dealers. You have those being combined with other regulated entities, right? You have um, entities that have both an SEC broker-dealer license and, as CFTC Future Commission Merchant FCM license, right? And so they're under both jurisdictions, and they operate, you know, kind of simultaneously. You have legacy conflicts of interest in investment banks of, um, you know, the sell side, you know, uh, research activity versus the M&A activity that Chinese walls exist to protect against, right? So, um, I mean, it's it's one thing to point out necessary safeguards, for different business lines being combined in one entity, but it's pretty hypocritical to say that they shouldn't be, given everything else that already is.
0: Fair enough. Focusing, I guess, on on some specific legislation, um, Senator Lummis and Gillibrand's revised crypto bill, what, what do you make of the bill, uh, specifically the assertion that companies can determine whether or not their digital assets are commodities? regardless of decentralization?
1: So, I mean, I think there are a number of things. Let let me speak broadly about kind of that first, which is that I think that this is a a wonderful effort. um, And it builds upon, you know, the good work that these two senators um, have done, who are both very knowledgeable and thoughtful about this ecosystem, which is wonderful to see um, them dedicate so much time to learning about this, becoming experts in it, and then trying to craft solutions for it. Um, And so, you know, broadly speaking, that in and of itself is a wonderful thing. A lot of the ideas that they have put and policy positions that they have put into this um, could serve as uh, components of any conglomerate bill that Congress chooses, you know, to pass into law. Uh, And so it's a very valuable contribution from that perspective. It's valuable to have both the Senate introduce, have, have a bill introduced that's addressing these issues, as well as the you know forthcoming House bill from um, the House Financial Services Committee and the House Ag Committee. It's helpful to have both chambers introduce bills on these topics. Um, I'm uncertain as to whether or not uh, the Lama Steele-Brand bill will receive a hearing in either the Senate, um, uh, the Senate Banking Committee or the Senate Agriculture Committee, um, just because usually it's the chairs of those committees that control... Um, whether or not those committees, you know, will have hearings on bills or markup bills, and it's usually their own bills, you know, that receive you know that kind of attention. Uh, but regardless of any action or lack of action in the Senate, it is a very valuable contribution to the discussion. It could many of the components could serve as a template for again what's included in an ultimate package should Congress actually pres- proceed here. Um, and, and so I, I applaud them for that work. I mean, I think. Getting, getting to our discussion before, I think you know, w- we really believe that, that decentralization is a key threshold uh, that needs to be achieved in order to escape from or be exempted from classic investor protection laws and regulations. And the reason you know, isn't to try to punish anything that's in the ecosystem at the moment because we all realize decentralization is a process and takes time. Right? And any new law that tries to create those thresholds needs to accommodate that transition. But, you know, if if you don't have that, then, you know, our concern is that you really open up the market for, um, you know, uh, some, some pretty bad consequences of entities that are trying to um, uh, escape securities rules, but issue securities like products.
0: All you need to do is slap labs at the end of your name, and then you're sufficiently decentralized. That's all you need to do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it, I hope not. Um, but, so, you know, the I think what we, what we don't want to have happen, right, is to have a law come on the books that allows, you know, J.P. Morgan to underwrite a billion dollars worth of tokens that are actually securities and then dump them on the marketplace, right? Um, and a law needs to a law that passes you know that that tries to create clarity for you know the crypto and token ecosystem needs to understand that as a potential consequence if um if decentralization is not a core component of what is viewed as a security versus a non-security uh, and a commodity. And so you know we think that there's a framework within Lummis uh that is interesting, given that it you know defines commodities broadly. Um, which is appropriate. I and mean, even securities are commodities. I've had this conversation a number of times. It's not that something is a security or a commodity. Commodities are basically everything um, that are fungible, including stock certificates. But it's whether or not something is or is not a security um, that, that carves it into or out of the SEC's jurisdiction. Um, and so focusing on how to ensure things are not securities, we think is the right focal point. And uh, where a decentralized test, which is hard right which is hard, and which a lot of different people have a lot of different views on um, uh, you know but we think that's the that's the conversation that's that's um, most critical to have
0: yeah, so it's kind of like not all commod now all commodities are securities but not all securities are commodities something like that like a rectangle square type situation um, Yeah, I don't
1: know what the Venn diagram looks like, Um, but you know, just just because something is a commodity does not preclude it from also being a security.
0: What challenges or opposition do you think this bill, or just any crypto bill that would be beneficial to the industry, could face? um, Especially with some crypto critics in Congress, as well as a seemingly um, skeptical Biden administration.
1: Well, I think you named the two, you know, strongest points of opposition. Um, we've seen nothing from the Biden administration uh, that seeks to provide clarity. There was a lot of fanfare around the executive order that they've issued in a number of reports that came out, but with very little um, tangible benefit or follow through. Um, nothing has checked, you know, the SEC's regulation by enforcement approach or regulation by any means except regulation approach that is is designed at this point i think it's fairly easy to conclude designed to kill this ecosystem in the united states um it's just a question of whether or not congress has the um consensus and the will to pass something and put it on the president's desk and try to you know make this into something that that needs to be signed into law um, and overcome the opposition of a very loud but you know um in, in my view um, you know marginal critics uh, in Congress into um, you know um, I think embrace aspects of the administration that are actually very pro the technology I mean I think if you talk to the if you talk to the foreign policy focused um, uh, um, you know uh, for the foreign policy focused uh, folks and, and the national security you know apparatus yeah you know, there there is a strong awareness as to the benefit of this technology and to the way that it can ensure that networks of the future remain open and censorship resistant or, or are, are not easily capable of being controlled by adversaries. And, you know, it, it's, it, is, it, is, it is well known in those communities that one of the battlefronts in the future will be networks. Know, that 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 control of networks by adversaries, influence of networks by adversaries, or the openness and censorship resistance—you know—capabilities um, of networks in the future will, will be will be something that is a, is a major um, is a major battleground of foreign policy and national security. And that is why when you talk to folks in those jurisdictions, in those in those areas of, of, of policy expertise, they get it. Um, Unfortunately, it feels like, you know, th- yeah, they, they, they understand the benefits of it. And unfortunately, their, their, their positions and, and thinking are being overruled um, by domestic finance um, uh, policy officials, either within the White House or Treasury, um, or certainly not having those individuals stand up and um, uh, check the, you know, um, the, the more authoritarian exercise of power by the SEC uh, in an area that, again, does not fit into its uh, regulatory history.
0: Mm. Yeah, well Well said. Uh, well, I think we're at time, so I want to be respectful of, of that. Uh, appreciate you coming on the program, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks a lot, Frank. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next time.
0: Yeah, pleasure was all mine. And thanks again for listening. The Scoop will be back for you with another great guest. Have an awesome day.